Hello, hello. Happy Monday. If it's not Monday when you're hearing this, then happy whatever day it happens to be. Welcome to the TCC podcast. If you've been here before, then welcome back. It is definitely Monday here, though, let me tell you. I just recorded for 30 minutes and did not have the microphone on. So it is most definitely Monday today. This is the True Crime Chronicles, and I am Lindsay. Be sure to follow me so you don't miss an episode. Share, comment, leave a rating, all the categories. I'm just starting out, so it would help me out a lot, and I would appreciate it greatly. Okay, so episode nine of Mystery Monday. This is a case out of Florida about a 14-year-old boy who disappeared. Some say leaving a family barbecue. Some say that he was leaving a candlelight vigil. We'll get to that, though. But this is a 14-year-old boy named Jabez Spann. Now, Jabez was completely failed by the police. They did not protect him, and they have not gotten justice for him yet either. Jabez witnessed a crime that the police wanted him to testify about. Now, I could not find a whole lot of information about Jabez personally or really even about this case as a whole. So there will definitely be some holes that I am just unable to fill in. But his story is one that, in my opinion, everyone should be talking about. And how was it that he was not more protected by the state. So sit back, relax. Let's talk about Jabez Spann. Jabez Spann was born December 13th of 2002 to mother Tawana Spann. Now, I have no information on Jabez's father. I wasn't able to find, you know, any type of information for him, not even his name. So I don't know if he was a presence in Jabez's life, if he ever had been, what the relationship had been with his parents. I have none of that. Um, So what I do have, though, is he had his mother, Tawana Spann, and he also had a grandmother, Lucille Tillery. Now, Jabez lived in Sarasota, Florida, when he went missing, But prior to that, he had lived in Ocala, also in Florida. He was living with his grandmother, Grandma Lucille Tillery. Now, I'm not sure why this was the living situation or how long that it had been this way. But from what I could tell, it had been this way for quite some time. And Grandma Lucille was a big part of raising Jabez. But That doesn't mean that Tawana was not around. She definitely was. Tawana lived in the Tampa area of Florida, and she kept very close contact with her son and had a very active role in raising him also. Now, Jabez was an excellent athlete. He loved sports, and he was a standout player in the sport of football. He loved it, and he was very good at it. Now, I'm not sure what position he played, But whatever position it was, he was very, very good at it. He excelled. 
And like most teens, he had a big interest in video games. He loved his grandma's Southern cooking and was always absorbed in whatever was going on on his cell phone. So a typical teenager, right? He's described by many as having a great smile and was always cracking jokes, wanting to make other people smile and laugh. Jabez was a high-spirited teen who was driven and an excellent student. He loved to assist his teachers. He always had time to help someone in need. He was protective of friends when others tried to bully them. He was loyal, caring, outgoing, and friendly. He treated his friends like members of his family. So Jabez was just an all-around great person. And anyone who knew him felt lucky to have had him in their life. So Jabez was 14 years old in August of 2017. He was a 5 foot 9, 120 pound young black male. On August 28th of 2017, Jabez was heartbreakingly in the wrong place at the wrong time. Jabez was at a friend's house in his neighborhood on 23rd Street. He was leaving to go back to his house over on 22nd Street, which was only about 200 yards away. About the time that Jabez was leaving his friend's house to return home, he steps out and he sees three men chasing 31-year-old Travis Combs into a grassy field right next door to Jabez's North Sarasota home. Jabez allegedly hears one of the men yell, give it up to Travis as he's trying to run right from these three men. Now, Travis does end up making it to an empty lot in the 1600 block of 22nd Street, where he is then surrounded by the three people. And Jabez hears Travis tell the trio, I ain't got it. Right after that, a single shot is fired, hitting Travis in the chest where he falls down in the empty lot and dies. Now, Jabez, as any young teen who just witnessed someone being chased down and brutally murdered in front of them, he doesn't know what to do, right? He panics. And he yells out, oh my God, y'all shot him. As the three suspects took off, you know, two were running north on foot and one stole Travis's car and took off in it. Now, this was according to the details from a police report that came out quite a while after the incident. Now, I don't have any information after that until we get to September 4th of 2017. Now, this is where we get to kind of the two different accounts of where Jabez was that night. One account says that Jabez was at a family Labor Day barbecue just down the street from his house. And the second account is that Jabez was at a candlelight vigil for Travis Combs, the man who was chased down and shot in front of him. Now, there's about equal to 
if it was a barbecue or if it was the vigil, but there was a little bit more for the vigil. And in my opinion, the vigil makes more sense. And I believe that in one of the statements from the police, they had went with the vigil scenario. So for the purpose of this episode, that's what we're going to go with. So the vigil for Travis Combs, it was held on 22nd Street and Palmadelia Avenue. And this was about two blocks from Jabez's house. So not far. So while Jabez was at the neighborhood vigil for Travis, I think he was there by himself, right? I don't believe his family was with him. So they just kind of waited for him to come home. He was a young kid. He had friends in the neighborhood. So, you know. But Jabez never came home after the vigil. In fact, like, he didn't come home at all that night. And his grandma didn't think much of it when Jabez didn't make it home. She assumed that he was out with friends. And I want to pause right here, though, and just... kind of think out loud for a second um you know I just I just want to say Jabez is 14 you know it's a school night he just witnessed the murder of a person whose vigil that he had just attended he had not checked in with his grandmother and nobody thought to be concerned at this point so I'm wondering, right? Like, was this a regular occurrence? Did he have a curfew of any type? Was he often out all hours of the night? Or was it common for him to stay at friends without letting his grandma know where he was and who he was with? I I don't know. So to me, I would be super concerned as, you know, soon as he did not check in and he did not come home. But... It really didn't seem to phase Grandma Lucille very much. And a witness report kind of backs that thought process up just a bit. A witness reported seeing Jabez with two other boys around 1 a.m. on September 5th. Now, this was believed to be the last credible sighting of Jabez. And he was wearing a teal or like like a turquoise shirt. Now, later in the morning on September 5th, Grandma Lucille finds out that Jabez also never made it to school that morning. So trying not to panic, Grandma calls Tawana and tells her she cannot find Jabez. Now, Tawana takes this serious enough that she gets in her car and she drives from Tampa to Sarasota and begins looking for Jabez as soon as she arrives. But even... You know, after calling everyone they knew and looking everywhere they thought that Jabez could be, the panic finally kicks in and they report him missing. And like it so often does, you know, the police didn't really take the report seriously at first, right? They chalked it up to him being a runaway, which I don't know why they would just assume it was a runaway If only, you know, just for his age, but they weren't fighting. He wasn't upset. He didn't storm out. So why would he run away? 
Also, no Amber Alert was issued. Now this, I'm going to guess that that's because they did not have a car description or license plate number. And I believe you have to have that. Like that's one of the requirements for an Amber Alert. So there was no alert. Now, several days pass with nothing from Jabez and no sign of him either. And unfortunately, September 10th brought in Hurricane Irma. And Irma hit Florida pretty hard. And that further delayed any possible, you know, searches for Jabez. It wasn't until September 18th that the searches could resume. And thankfully, now, Jabez was being labeled as a missing and endangered child. His family, you know, had hit the streets with flyers, pleading for help and information. They were leading searches. And it was right around this time that a neighbor comes forward and tells police a tale about the night of August 28th. Reginald Lee Parker, age 55, was a neighbor from across the street who told police that he witnessed the entire murder and said that he saw Jabez walk out of a house right as the murder happened. So, you know, this information finally gets the police's attention, right? So this is a possible motive. Now, Reginald's firsthand account also matches the account of another witness a woman who also heard the gunshot and saw the men fleeing the area. Now, Reginald told more than just the police about Travis's murder. He told at least three other people about witnessing the murder also. And I'm gonna guess with his loose lips, he probably told way more than the three people he admitted to. And I would be fairly certain that he had told people about Jabez seeing the shooting as well. I feel pretty certain in that. So Reginald was arrested on November 7th, and this was not on anything to do with Travis or anything to do with Jabez. He had a failure to appear warrant, so they picked him up on that. And while he was in jail... Investigators took the opportunity to interview him about Travis's murder. But Reginald completely flipped the script on them and he recanted his whole statement. He told the police, I don't know shit, didn't see shit, haven't heard shit. Well, the police were not at all happy with Reginald's little switcheroo. So after he recanted his statement, the detectives brought in the three people that Reginald told about the murder. And I think that they did this to, you know, kind of confront him about his statements, but it didn't work. So Reginald now was 100% full of shit and uncooperative. Well, unfortunately for old Reggie, the cops were not playing games with him. They quickly charged him with being an accessory to murder for impeding the investigation of an armed robbery and a murder. Now, Reginald's arrest report 
it stated that he knew the identities of the three people who committed the murder of Travis Combs. And he avoided telling law enforcement with the intent of helping the suspects avoid or escape detention. So he was lying to cover for them, right? Or, you know, protect who they were so they wouldn't get in trouble. But information on Travis's murder came from a different source, an unofficial source. A Sarasota pastor named Calvin Lumpkin of the Light of the World International Church. He came forward. Now, Pastor Calvin first went to detectives and he told them that he had information about a homicide. And officials close to the case, they confirmed that he was referring to the Travis Combs murder. Now, what happens next is, in my opinion, it is incredibly bizarre and absolutely 100% side-eye worthy. Before Pastor Kelvin could be interviewed by prosecutors and police, his attorney stepped in and let the police know that Pastor Kelvin would be invoking his pastoral privilege and he was not going to be answering any questions from here on out. He was done, had nothing to say. Now, that's not the crazy part. You know, I would expect that someone in that position to have legal representation, right? A hundred percent, be protected, get your lawyer. But (laughs) the person representing him as a private attorney was the acting mayor of Sarasota, Mayor Shelley Freeland Eddy. And I'm gonna tell you, she shut communication down with a quickness. Mayor Shelley sends a letter to the prosecutor and to the investigators as Pastor Kelvin's legal representative. And the letter stated, every communication that my client received regarding this matter occurred within the confines of his position as a pastor and occurred in a confidential setting. And, you know, she then decided the applicable state law Mayor slash lawyer Shelley stated in her letter that his clergy privilege meant that neither their agency, the state attorney's office, nor the court can force her client to speak or answer any questions. So she was having none of it. Now, once an article was published in the local newspaper, the Herald Tribune, about the mayor providing legal services to Pastor Kelvin, the pastor took to his Facebook page and he did a live video and it was at the Sarasota Police Department, which is very odd to me. But in this video, he said that the article from the Herald Tribune was misleading. Chief Bernadette DePino and Captain Corinne Stanish, 
they joined Pastor Calvin on his live video. And they said that no information was being withheld about a homicide case and that Pastor Calvin had no information about Jabez Spann. Now, they never addressed what was misleading or why the hell the mayor was involved, right? Like, I don't know. To me, I am in a kind of, you know, what the fuck mode, right? Because first off, how would they know if he didn't know anything or had no information? They couldn't ask him anything. They weren't allowed. So he had no information on Jabez. How do you know that? And then also, if he knew nothing, why did he even go to the police to begin with? To want to give a statement about information he had learned about a homicide. I I, I mean, it doesn't even make any sense. And then why claim pastoral privilege if you don't know anything? There's nothing to privilege, right? Because you have zero information. I mean, it was just, none of it made sense. And really the biggest part that didn't make sense to me was why in the fuck would the mayor stop mayoring in order to represent this particular pastor? I don't know if it was her pastor, right? But it makes me wonder if one of the men were related to the mayor in some way, right? Like um, a son, a sibling, brother, cousin, nephew, you know, something like that. Because if even if Pastor Kelvin was her pastor, she could have recommended a number of people that could have helped him as opposed to stop mayoring for a minute and be his, you know, private attorney. I just, I've never heard of that. I don't know. But I feel like there is something with a personal connection between her and this case, whether it was with Travis or Jabez, I think both, you solve one, you solve the other. But that's the only thing that makes sense because why else would she jump in and cock block Pastor Calvin from talking to the police? It's just, you know, I don't know. The entire situation is just so bizarre and suspect as fuck, right? Like, it's something is not right about that. Also, right, with Reginald recanting his statement, Jabez is now missing, and Pastor Calvin is calling privilege, there was no case anymore. And as far as I can tell, Travis Combs's murder sits unsolved to this day. Now, at this point, Jabez is still missing. And nothing happens. You know, the first year passes. Then any hope the family had of Jabez coming home alive was gone. At approximately 4.30 on a Saturday afternoon, February 19th, 2019, a fully skeletonized set of remains were found in a rural section of Manatee County, 
west of I-75. The remains were found by a worker repairing a fence in a rural area. It was unknown how long the remains had been there, if this was the actual murder spot, or if the person had been dumped there at a later point. The police didn't comment on what, if any, clothes were found with the remains or, you know, if there were any other items that were there. The remains were soon identified by dental records to be those of Jabez Span. They were found about 30 miles from where he was last seen. Now, his death was ruled as a homicide, but no cause of death was ever publicly announced. You know, and honestly, we don't even know if they were able to even determine one, right? I mean, it was just a skeleton. You know, it had been about a year and a half at this point. So they might not have been able to determine how he died. Sarasota Chief of Police at the time, Pat Robinson, said that they have always felt that there are individuals in our community that are too scared to come forward, adding that the folks that did it, they are from our community. Now, Chief Robinson would not give an exact location of where Jabez's remains were found, as it was still considered a crime scene. Which, I mean, that makes sense, right? And yeah, I bet people are incredibly scared to come forward. I mean, look what they did to a 14-year-old child. I would be fucking terrified. I wouldn't say a word. Now, this was not an area that Jabez was known to frequent. At a press conference, Chief Robinson said that we do not believe Jabez left Sarasota on his own volition and went to Manatee County where his body was found. Although this closes one chapter in the investigation, we're hoping that, you know, we can open another chapter in the investigation. This is now going to be a death investigation. And we're pivoting off of one foot and leading right into an active investigation. So, you know, hopefully that uh, something comes, you know, from the investigation. But there's just not much to work with. Authorities said, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of hours of investigative work had gone into this investigation. And that was including what Chief Robinson called incredible support from Jabez's family and the community. Many of our detectives have children of their own. I'm a father, as is the sheriff. I can't imagine having that information broken to me about my own son. Chief Robinson said, there have been highs and lows in this investigation when there have been sightings and tips and things we've followed up on. And every time it's a peak and a valley. They've stood with us and our investigation team this entire way. He went on to say, we are not going to speculate at this moment as to the connection to any other crime. 
This will be handled on its merits alone. We'll be going back and basically starting from the beginning, scouring our case files to ensure that every lead, every tip was followed up on. Everything was handled 100%. We are going to run this thing to the end. According to the department, detectives met with Grandma Lucille on November 6th. And she told them that Reggie Parker came to her home to say that he witnessed the murder, which is kind of wild to me. Grandma Lucille told the investigators what Reginald told her when he came to her house. And it matched, you know, verbatim to the original story that Reginald had told police and then recanted. Now, I don't know if Reginald came to speak to Grandma Lucille on November 6th or if that's just the date of the meeting um, with the detective where she just informed them of it. I, I don't really know. But I do believe that this is the day before Reginald was arrested on the failure to appear warrant and then recanted his statement that he had previously given to law enforcement. Now, getting the positive identification of Jabez's remains, you know, that was really a two-sided coin for his family. On one hand, they finally had an answer of some sort, right, of what had happened to Jabez. But now they needed the who, why, and how questions answered. And, you know, those just didn't come very easy. It's been five years and the family is still suffering and hurting over the loss of their family member. Dana Tillery is Jabez's uncle. He explained how losing his nephew has affected him. He says it's heart wrecking. It's still hurting. The years go by and we don't see him and we really miss him. Uncle Dana goes on to say, I'm wondering what really happened to him. Was he pleading? Was he begging for his life? And this is heartbreaking to hear. But how could you not feel this way or let those types of thoughts creep in? I mean, that has to just be. Uh, I, I, I don't even know how to describe it. Like that is just awful. Now, he describes his nephew saying that he was a great person. He had a great heart. He was good in school. And he treated the other kids in his peer group very well. Jabez's mother took to social media to express her grief. Tawana wrote, somebody knows what happened. Look at his face and see that he needs your help. This is not over. It's just changed from missing to death. What a beautiful child that you took. But it was Grandma Lucille that really pulled the heartstrings. And you could definitely hear some anger in a few of her statements. And honestly, rightfully so. She has every 
reason, every right in the world to just be pissed. She does. But Grandma Lucille said, I'm asking God from my heart if he ever did anything in my life and I believe in him. I want him to give us them killers. Anybody that can kill a child is capable of killing anyone. They throw my grandson to the side of the road like he was a piece of trash, like he didn't have no family, like nobody cares about him. I'm here to tell you today, this is a sorry community. You want us to get out there and say Black Lives Matter, but what about the kids getting killed in our community by our own Blacks? Their lives matter too. I, I, you know, I saw that and just go ahead, Grandma Lucille, you know, let it out. Just absolutely let it out. She said nothing wrong. And she just, she just has a right to be mad. And she also went on to say, you go to bed every night, you know, wondering when you wake up the next day, is someone, is somebody going to come around and say, well, so-and-so did this to Jabez. That is so heartbreaking to me. Like, I cannot imagine the pain that she feels or what she sees at night when she closes her eyes to go to bed or the thoughts, you know, when she has a quiet moment. It just... Oh my gosh, I, it hurts my heart. It does for her. That has got to be probably one of the worst things that you can ever experience. Jabez's mother, Tawana, made a statement after the remains of her son were found. We are going to move forward in the hopes that they can find whoever did this. Those moments that you caused him, that you did to him when he was helpless and couldn't call on anybody, that is what I want to see justice for. Yes, yes. As a mother, I can only imagine what she's going through. I, I just, it, this whole case is just so sad. And it's senseless. And it was preventable and avoidable. Like, it, it just didn't need to happen. He was a child. Once Deputy Robinson gave a statement. And he said, this case, it's a sprint. Not a marathon. We need the community support and their help, their eyes and ears to find out what happened to this young man so that we can further this investigation. It's through our community that this will be solved. And we've said that since the beginning. Now, the Sarasota Police Department has stated on their social media that this case remains an active, open, and ongoing investigation. We are continuing to ask for help to solve this death investigation. Now, that is what I have as far as the details 
of Jabez's case. But, you know, one thing that's kind of been bothering me, though, is Reginald. Why is he still alive? He very quickly made it known that not only did he witness Travis's murder, but he knew the people who did it. And he gave a statement to police. He told Grandma Lucille he saw it. And, you know, so did Jabez. So why did he do that? To me, there's a reason why he recanted. Why go to the police if you have absolutely zero intention of cooperating? Like, he clearly knew the people who killed Travis, right? So, did he make some kind of deal with them? You know, he gives them Jabez's name and address, you know, details, and he agrees to recant his statement. And in return, they don't kill him, but they killed Jabez instead. So now the witnesses are all gone. Did Jabez know them? Could he have been able to ID them? Did they know that he'd be at the vigil? Did they follow him after that? Just waiting for that time, you know, to do whatever they had planned to do, right? I just feel like Reginald holds a lot more of the cards than he is saying for both of the cases, actually, for Jabez and Travis's murder. So to date, no one has been arrested for Travis Combs' murder, and it sits unsolved. So there has been no justice for either Travis or Jabez. And I very, very firmly believe both of these cases are connected if you solve one, you solve the other. If anyone has information on the murders of Travis Combs or Jabez Spann, you can call the Sarasota Police Department at 941-963-6773 or Crime Stoppers at 941-366-TIPS or you can go online to sarasotacrimestoppers.com. And that is all I have for this case. Thank you for joining me for another Mystery Monday episode. Every Monday I upload a new episode focusing on a missing person case or an unsolved case. Every other Saturday is a solved Saturday case where I focus on a solved true crime case that has already had a legal resolution or is going through the judicial system currently or appeals process. On the first of every month is a History's Mysteries episode, and that focuses on a true crime event from history that may or may not be solved. So be sure to follow me so you don't miss an episode. Share, comment, give me a rating, all the categories. Thank you for being here and have a great day.